politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to breathe free air once again to the only CR podcast around the only conservative podcast that actually discusses the issues that matter, when they matter, and how they matter. Uh, glad to be back here for a new week in broadcast. Um, folks, there's a lot going on, <laughs> but you might not have seen or heard from me on Twitter. Those of you who follow me religiously on Twitter, I was suspended late Friday for tweeting about a family that came to me, or a friend of the family, uh, because they were in the hospital in Maryland uh, in bad shape with COVID, fully vaccinated. But you're not allowed to say that because that exposes the great big lie that you can't get meaningfully sick from COVID if you have the vaccine. And they suspended me for seven days. So before we get into anything, I just want you guys to know I'm always going to be writing articles at The Blaze. Okay, that's independent. No one could touch that. The show is independent. Even if iTunes would somehow go after me, you could always hear uh, this show on Blaze Network. So you could find my columns there. I'm trying to figure out where to go long term. I guess I'll be back up, you know, over the weekend in a week. Uh, But I'm sure I'll be cut loose soon again. So I am at Daniel underscore Hurwitz on Getter. Uh, Likewise, uh, same handle on Gab. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go. I do have a Rumble channel with some videos. I'm going to try to do more often, see our podcast on Rumble. So we'll have that. We'll stay in touch, so don't worry about me being silenced. But I think the broader lesson here is, Notice there are certain big names in so-called conservative politics that never get censored. And there's a reason for that. Because they're not really a threat. Because they don't really focus on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. They might appear to give off some sort of impression of being an opposition, but they're not. They're a controlled opposition. For a while, I was wondering if I was even being effective because I couldn't believe I was never suspended. But there it is. They don't want you to know the truth about this. Kevin McCarthy recently put out a, uh, a list of things he wants to do if they take back Congress. And absent from that list is any mention of the biomedical state, COVID fascism, and the so-called vaccines. And it's not even the mandates. I mean, they, they're, they're certainly alive and well. Like we said, even if the Supreme Court rules properly, that's only at a federal level, not at a state level. And the so-called private businesses that are violating human rights at the BS of the federal government. It's not even about that. At this point, even without a mandate, the lack of informed consent, the degree of death and mayhem from these things, the degree to which they're creating viral immune escape and making the virus worse. That in itself needs to be investigated. So we're going to spend a lot of time this week on that, highlighting the magnitude of vaccine injuries. Uh, Because it's worse than we think. All the safety signals we're seeing. And we're going to have a very special guest today. Amazing guest who was personally injured by the shots. And he's going to talk about that, also the border, a lot of other things, because he's in the military looking to get out soon because he was betrayed by his own government. 
But folks, this is what they don't want people to know. They keep saying, oh, everyone in the hospital is unvaccinated. There's only one country that has continuous, granular, week-over-week data, and they divide it by vaccination status, by age stratification. That is the UK. And as I mentioned in the tweet, I actually said 72%, according to UK, are vaccinated uh, who died. Actually, 75% of the fatalities in the latest report are among the vaccine. Now, again, you could say among those age groups, it still shows a degree of efficacy, but it's outdated, you know, for a few months. But that's a very different story than saying 90, 95, 99% are unvaccinated. No, the overwhelming majority are vaccinated. You could still say it's still less than their share of the population for that age group. Fine. But that's a very different story because that means that there might be a degree of efficacy, but it's very spotty and you can't count on it like all these families coming to me for help that the shots failed them. But you're not allowed to say that. Oh, no. You are not allowed to mention that at all. Now, also, I mentioned the fact that the person was at Hopkins University here in Baltimore um, so I would imagine Hopkins probably flagged it for them because, you know, you're not allowed to uh, lay, lay the blame at their doorstep. I should have said Bloomberg Hospital. <laughs> it's not Hopkins anymore. It's called Bloomberg. So this is where we are now as a nation. Now, there is a lot more on the data side. It's hard to know, uh, you know, what's going on with the hospitalizations, how much is, is Delta circulating around? But I will tell you, if you look at the National Hospital Census, Phil Kirpin put this out, the number of inpatients for COVID has increased by over 70,000 over the month. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. Now, if, that's, if, if, if it really is legitimately from COVID, you would expect the overall hospital census to have climbed. In fact, the total number of inpatients are down. <clears throat> Listen to that again. The full pie of people in the hospital, meaning the total number of people in the hospital, is actually down from a month ago, yet within the pie, 70,000 more are for COVID. What that tells you is that most of them are incidental or BS, or some of them are just kind of scared they're not getting better, but it's not like they're in respiratory distress. Again, you do have a few that are left over from Delta, and Delta is still circulating, there is a theory out there that they wanted to jump the gun and they gave us data, uh, you know, basically overselling how much was Omicron in order to conflate the severity of the existing Delta with the emerging Omicron and give, you know, give them a pretext for panic when in fact, no, I mean, that's coming from Delta and really it's not 95% Omicron now. It's likely less than that. What it is is unclear. But it didn't take over within days like they said it did. So as we mentioned last week, in terms of treatment, this is why I'm a little bit reluctant to let our guard down. Um, because, you know, you don't know when you're going to get dealt and there still clearly are some people who are. And I just wanted to mention, you know, a lot of my colleagues I'm seeing, they're making a lot of hay of, CDC Director Walensky's comments that 75% of all the deaths were people with at least four comorbidities. And if you go down to three comorbidities, it's, it's 90, 96% or so. I'm not so into that. 
because I'm not so into downplaying the severity of COVID. I think COVID's horrible. I, I want to hang it around their necks. They created it. They're responsible for COVID and the reaction to it. The issue isn't so much that COVID is being overblown. I think they're right in the, in the sense that, you know, the government for so long, you know, put everyone in the same pile and, you know, didn't put out more information that it's a little bit more age and health stratified. I get that. But let me say this. I mean, it's 75% of a huge number. So, I mean, 25% warrant. You know, there was still were a lot of people. Well, I guess you'd say, well, they had three comorbidities. But the point is, I think it was certainly true the first year, but I think because of the vaccines, because of the viral immune escape, then I will tell you that there were more that got roped into it who weren't. And also, it's important to keep in mind, look among your friends, relatives, and even yourselves. A comorbidity doesn't necessarily mean the way they're defining it that someone's within the last six months of their lives. These are a lot of people who are 60, 65 years old, not even 70s and 80s. 60, 65 could be even the 50s who have heart disease, hypertension, and diabetes. That's three right there. But, you know, these are functioning people. That's a hell of a lot of people in America. We could have the discussion why America is so sick and what we need to do about that. But be it as it may, a lot of our friends, relatives, and ourselves are in that predicament. A lot of these people, now, typically, if you're a guy that has a bad heart condition, you have diabetes, and you're 62, usually those people don't last till 95. But, you know, they, most of the times, a lot of times they do die in, the six, in their 60s. A lot of times they'll easily last at least into the 70s. A lot, lot, you know, many more years left. And this is a big tragedy. I don't want to minimize it. Now, I'm not saying to panic and to do what they want. No, it's you get treatment, you have treatment ready, and that and that works, and that's what we need, and we needed doctors to treat it. But again, this is the focus. This is where my colleagues don't focus on the issues that matter at the time they matter and in the way they matter. To the extent they focus on COVID, they're like on our March 2020 messaging. Oh, it's only the IFR is low. It's only the comorbidities. Oh, the lockdowns. Yeah, that was yesterday's news. Today, the bigger news is... The vaccines are killing people. They don't work, and certainly not anymore. They're creating viral immune escape, and they're blocking the real treatment for COVID that is necessary. That's the avenue that we need, and that's the legislative agenda we need to pursue to right the wrong. Last week, I put out a blueprint on COVID and to end COVID and end COVID fascism. You could Google that, look it up at the blaze. You know, you you click on my name and then scroll down a couple of columns ago, you know, four or five of them, you'll see it there. And again, you could always find my columns there. You know, I have a new one out today, so just because I'm not on Twitter, you know, doesn't mean you can't find me there. Now, I usually like to start off the week with a, with a monologue, updating you on a lot of the news, but our guest is way too special to blow the day on just me yapping my mouth, and you'll see why. So today's uh, show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Speaking of censorship, the only reason why big tech has such a monopoly is because we're allowing them to gain free access to everything we put out. Um, they basically, they spy on us. They sell our data. That's why I recommend ExpressVPN. Um, they make all of your searches, your video history, everything you click on, uh, anonymous. 
It's it's a mask. Think of it as a as a mask, but except it actually works for this type of virus. For spying virus, it hides your IP address, makes your activity more difficult to trace. ExpressVPN VPN encrypts 100% of your network data, so it protects you from eavesdropping, cyber criminals, um, and it's it's so easy. It was like one click of the device. I'm, I'm terrible with computers. Everyone knows that, so I'm always scared to put new things on, but it was easy for me when I did it a year ago. So stop allowing big tech to revoke our rights to free speech. Why not revoke their right to your data? Secure your internet with the VPN I trust expressvpn.com slash conservative that's e-x-p-r-e-s-s-v-p-n.com slash conservative to get an extra three months free with my exclusive link and again expressvpn.com slash conservative now folks as i mentioned the reason why i'm in such a rush to get to our guest today is because we have too little time for too much great content what if i told you i had one of the only Green Beret doctors in the country on the line who was personally, unfortunately, injured by the vaccine, has overseen a lot of vaccine injuries in the military, has a broad perspective of COVID in the military, and has just come back from conducting missions at the border for the Texas National Guard. Border, COVID fascism, military, man, these are all of our favorite issues to discuss um, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Chambers. He served in the military on and off since 1983, began as an infantryman. Um, he took a break to become a doctor. Uh, after 9-11, he returned as a Green Beret. He's done multiple combat deployments overseas, all sorts of hell holes from Iraq to Afghanistan, uh, Africa, Syria, you name it. Uh, he did deployments as a Special Forces commander, but also a flight surgeon. So he's a grunt, but he's a doctor. Very, very unique man. Um, he's a member of a special operations detachment in the Texas National Guard now. Uh, recently served as a li- liaison to Governor Greg Abbott's task force during the COVID response. So the National Guard was involved in that. And then recently he has served in Operation Lone Star, which is Texas's National Guard border mission. Um, so Each one deserves its own show, but we're going to go through this methodically. Uh, Colonel Chambers, thanks so much for joining us for the first time at CR Podcast, and I'm sure it won't be the last. Yes, sir. Yeah, I came off orders on the uh, 31st of December, so right now, by the guard standards, I'm going to say that I'm speaking for myself. This is my opinion, not that of the Texas Military Department, nor the DOD, nor any special operations entity. So this is Pete Chambers, Dr. Uh, right now. So I'm not wearing a uniform <laughs> at this time. I'm actually wearing boots and a cowboy hat down here in Texas. Just like just like a Texan. So again, yeah, you don't speak for the military, Texas National Guard, Special Forces community. Um, you are like a National Guardsman who is off duty and now's your kind of your civilian time. Um, right. So you're going to you're going to discuss your personal perspective. So let's start um, with the shots. Obviously, you've been in the military uh, for 38 years, so you've taken um, more shots than I've taken, and you heard the COVID shots were coming out. You are yourself a doctor. What did you think? Did you were you reluctant before you got the shots, or did did this totally take you by surprise? Well, you know, hindsight's always 2020, and and the first president I came in under was Ronald Reagan, and I was a young kid and an infantry guy, and 
you know, I, I trusted my government all the way up until January, February, let's say March of 2020 with regard to vaccines, because that's when I started noticing the VIRS data coming out. I started getting symptoms myself. That's when I really looked into it. But but January, when I was told, hey, you got to take these shots, Doc, you know, you're going to go down to the border, you're going to cover down these soldiers. I took them. And I'm sorry, January 21 is when I took them. So uh, and in March. So in doing that, my trust was there for my government. I did. I always did it. I knew there were possible side effects of anything you take. Anything you take can have a side effect. But I'm, I'm risk benefiting it until I find out the facts. And that's when I went to high, high, hyper mode in protecting my soldiers. Got it. So you got the shot. You got Moderna, the first shot in January, second one in March. Yes. What happened after the second shot? After the second shot, it really didn't have any effect on the first one. After the second shot, though, about two to three months in, I got a pretty severe case, and it was gradual uh, on the brain fog side of the house. But uh, but the, I remember the first severe case, and I was literally in the Rio Grande Valley on my way down to an, uh, to what we call Troop the Line, check on my soldiers. I did it every third night down there. And uh, I, I got this severe vertigo, pulled over to the side of the road, I'm like, all right, this is this is not right. This is almost like a like a ear in you know a hyper or hypobaric injury with a diving or with a with a military freefall feeling, uh, or some people liken it to being drunk. And you know when you do the vertical or horizontal gaze and the stagmus, you see that bouncing of the eyes. That's what I had driving down the road, and that was the first time I really noticed it. Kind of just put it under wraps, thinking maybe it's an internal ear problem. Went from there. Eventually got it uh, MRI'd and found there was some changes that were. Uh, commensurate with some of the the myelinating type processes, uh, some ischemic changes, which would imply clots, those kind of things. And I'm currently undergoing uh, medical discharge. So I'm not in any particular unit anymore in Texas other than the medical debt for a discharge medically. So you're looking to be discharged medically after 38 years to get out of the military. Um, what, what, how would you describe this to the average layman? Is this a brain bleed? Okay, we've had some of those on the border. I, like I said, I've been the doc for the for the task force, and I've had several soldiers with bleeds. And this is not so much a bleed because uh, sometimes you have a problem with the cl- the clotting factors. We're seeing that the thrombocytopenia, those kind of things. But what this is is more of a micro thrombosis, little bitty clots that eventually mm. uh, they shower the brain. And we've had one soldier down there, a female who had a pulmonary embolism. Uh, she she developed that after her second shot. So we're seeing all these kind of thromboembolic and thr- and, and then um, hemorrhagic type issues in, in in what I'm seeing in the in the uh, in the brain. And then we see that in the lungs. And then we see the brain fog. We see uh, myocarditis. I had a 24 year old 24 year old with that. These are these are concerns. And if we were downrange and this, you never heard the word COVID. And all of a sudden, soldiers started dropping like this. And we got them in ICU and one that's doing rehab to learn how to talk again. You know, if that happened downrange, a commander would go, hey, we need to look into this. This has not been done. The state surgeon, you know, is is in charge of this. Everything that happens or fails to happen, it's not being dictated to us. We're doing it on our own, us docs at the tip of the spear. But it's basically being looked at like, no, this is just a possible, you know, he could have just had this on his own or he or she. So, you know, it, it, sweeping stuff under the rug doesn't work for me. You know, I'm a scientist, and and, and I look for reasons for it and, and all the uh, uh, differential diagnoses, and we, we work them out. But until then, what I look at is here's a saying in medicine, if you hear, hear hoofbeats, you think of a horse and not a zebra. If this is what you're hearing, 
most likely could be this, you know, two weeks after a shot, you get this symptoms, you know, or, or signs. Yeah. Concerning. <laughs> wow. I mean, I am just floored here. So you were in the military 38 years. You mm-hmm. get injured. Um, you see it on an MRI, uh, micro clotting. And is anyone concerned about you? Is anyone like, oh my gosh, we got to write this up. We got to, you know, investigate well, you, yeah. this. <laughs> I'm not in the business of dining people out, but if it was one of my soldiers, I would have at least given him a phone call or went by. Now I'm still checking on these guys that are in the hospital, calling them and their families. I'm not on duty anymore, but they've given me the, the free reign to call and check on them. But I haven't gotten one phone call from my superiors uh, and they, and they know about it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, everybody's got to you know make their own bed and, and, and practice medicine the way they do. But uh, I think that because I became uh, a, an eyesore for them when I, when I was doing informed consents. Uh, the reason they fired me essentially pulled me off orders because I was doing what the army regulation clearly states you must do in emergency use authorization medications or, or whatever you want to call this thing, this gene therapy. Um, to me, that, that's, that, that's going to end up with second and third order effects in the trust realm. I've got soldiers saying now, I don't even want to take uh, influenza vaccine, doc. And I'm like, hey, I got you. I understand. So wow. when you're an advocate for a patient, and you, when you do informed consent, what you're saying is, is that here's the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, all right? And there are things that I can sway however I want, but I, I'm going to just tell the facts. And the, you know the facts that I gave them were from the CDC website, the NIH, the WHO, and the FDA. I just pulled their own facts because I didn't want – I knew it was going to be scrutinized. And after I did about 2,000 informed consents down on the border and only six people took the vaccine – that's when the red flags went up and said, what the hell are you doing, Doc? It's going to look bad. I look bad to who? Well, the National Guard Bureau, the DOD, they're going to come down on us. I'm like, well, I can't help it. This is science. And I had a two-star in my face telling me, I don't give a GD about the science. This is policy. And I said, well, sir, I do care about it. I'm your surgeon. It's my duty to inform you. I am special staff to you. And that's where he said, well, fine, do the, do the informed consents and then you know, subsequently my orders were pulled. So, so this is a pretty big deal. Cause again, there aren't too many like you around that, you know, you're a special forces, uh, guy, you're in the national guard now off duty mm-hmm. at this, at this moment, but you are a doctor and that's mm-hmm. kind of your job to take care of the medical health of those, uh, in your chain of command. And to me, what's very fascinating here is, you know, it's, we're all trying to properly quantify the level of concern with the vaccine. We know mm-hmm. the safety signals are high. We know it's well above a normal vaccine, but how mm. much is hard because it's not being investigated. The signals that typically we follow up on, we're, we're ignoring. So what I like mm-hmm. about this is that the military is a confined and defined population. So mm-hmm. if there's stuff going on, and then more, more than that, you guys have tons of vaccines you're always taking. So if you're suddenly seeing an inordinate number of cardiovascular issues, clotting issues, neurological issues, you're telling me that's something you can't really miss. No, absolutely not. You, you cannot miss that. And, and here, here's the deal. Like I said, if you're seeing this, this, um, this lineup of all of these symptoms and signs and this, these numbers in such a short period of time and all of them – that, that are corroborated with a date of injection and a specific lot number, 
You know, we pay attention to this stuff, or I do, and it's my job to track this stuff. Now, the guy that came and replaced me is uh, calls himself the COVID czar, and he's there down to fix the problem on the border. So he's doing COVID town halls. He's giving them, you know, more reason, more. He's not coercing, and I haven't seen anybody coerce, but there's different ways to coerce. It's kind of like you're excluded. Oh, you've got to wear a mask. Oh, you're treated differently. You know, soldiers on active duty, they, they're getting flagged for their promotions. So either if, even if you turn down their, their uh, requests for a waiver, they're, they're going to get out because if you're not going to get promoted, what are you doing? What, you know, I, I stayed in for many years. I, I should be a, a one-star by now. I kept turning down rank, but some people want rank, right? And, and I like being at the tip of the spear, so I turn down rank when I can do that. But if these people are doing this for a career and they're flagged, what it, that is coercion. And this is what I'm seeing. It's, it's a different kind. And it's, it's very uh, vitriolic. It's subversive. And this is not my army. This is not the army that I chose to serve, although I will and I have. And I told that same general, I said, sir, I've taken a bullet for a soldier down rain. I'll put my life in harm's way. I promise you I'll put my career in harm's way for this. There are more lives that we can save in this battle than plugging holes on a battlefield. One of the things that concerns me about your story is that um, the microclotting gives me the creeps because mm -hmm. to me, if there's something that we're definitely missing in VARES, VARES is appalling. I mean, 21,000 deaths over mm -hmm. a million injuries, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand more serious ones. But we know it's seriously underreported. And what you're describing really, really lends credence to that because you're telling me that the microclotting got you, what, two months later? It wasn't immediate. Is that correct? Insidious onset, affirmative. Insidious onset is what we call it in medicine. So it's, it's gradual. You know, you think about it. First it's brain fog, and then it goes to vertigo. All right, what's next? Stroke. You know, that's, that's essentially what's next. However, uh, in doing my work with the uh, America's Frontline Doctors and helping them on an FAA paper we wrote, or they wrote, and I signed on after confirming that I agreed with it, here's the deal. We all said... <laughs> There are ways to mitigate this. So I got in there under the tutelage of Peter McCullough and, and listening to uh, Malone and looking at Zelenko protocols and starting to take things that will help bind some of these spike protein damages and then also looking at further treatment. And I'm undergoing some, uh, some, some more follow-ups with neurology. I'm just hoping my neurologist that I next meet will be in line with what we're, we're talking about. Uh, therein lies the two camps. And uh, unfortunately, some of the camps have bought into this mass formation psychosis even amongst doctors, you know, that, that is a, that is a real thing. You know, this is what, what the Nazis used to uh, incinerate a lot of people. Cause I'm, I'm seeing even people that drop dead right after taking the shots, they get injured right after it's not recorded into theirs. So yeah, certainly, yeah. certainly yeah. your case, I mean, there's no way cases like yours are ever going to be reported when it kind of comes on. You say insidious onset, maybe two mm -hmm. months later, it's gradual. They're never mm -hmm. going to trace it back. But if we know that the mechanism of action of the spike protein is to create microclotting, both in the pathogen itself and certainly, mm -hmm. you know, you put it in the vaccine. Well, it, that so that's not just going to come up immediately like an anaphylactic shock or something. This is going to come on gradually and that that means that there's an, a whole array of this when you saw the npr article i don't know if you remember a couple months ago they mentioned tons of blood clotting in the hospital they listed a bunch of mystery Absolutely. ailments oh well where do you think that's coming from <laughs> there goes back to the hoofbeats you know horses and not zebras i mean you got to look at it and go okay we're seeing the same thing over and over here guys 
And then if we, if we rewind the clock a little bit, I go back to, to March of 2020 when I was placed in the state operations center to be a liaison to Governor Abbott's uh, task force. And I remember walking in that building the first day and going, this could be Ebola. I don't know. But doing, let's just do some homework. And we started looking at these different models, the McKenzie model, the A&M model in Texas. We started looking at these models, and they said, oh, somewhere around 10 million will be dead within the next year. All right, well, that's a little scary. So what I do, I do what I do with a soldier, and I say, all right, force recon, let's send the guys out. Give me some data. Give me some real-time data. I started calling ERs around the state. New Orleans, New York, talking to other people I've been to residency with and saying, what are you seeing? Give it to me. And it was not what they were saying that the models were showing. So from the very beginning of this thing, we have bought into this fear and we have bought into this thing. And if I was to create a bioweapon, this is exactly how I would do it. Wow. Make make a bunch of people sick. A lot of people very sick. And like we were talking about before you came on, you know, among those without comorbidities, most don't die, but a lot get very sick. And if you want to screw up a country, um, that's how you're going to do it. And then you create another bioweapon to treat it that also gives you know makes people sick, gives them these long-term issues. I'm seeing a lot of pulmonary embolisms pop out of nowhere. You know, an NPR reporter uh, or book editor of 46 died, pulmonary embolism suddenly. I mean, I never saw that before. All these sudden deaths, sudden death. Obviously, we have that comedian uh, that just died suddenly. Um, lots After of people, boosters, right? Yeah. B- boosters. A lot of people dying suddenly. So could you tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing in the military? If, um, I know, you know, I had a conversation with, with one of your colleagues, uh, who's also a doctor in the military mm-hmm. and, and she was talking about how, you know, so you see with the sports players, these soccer players that when you have, um, budding heart inflammation, it's going to come mm-hmm. out first with people that do rigorous, uh, activity. So what's right. happening with all these people getting the shots in, in large numbers? Cause they're coerced to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, some refuse, but a lot of, you know, are taking it, um, all the training from basic training to, mm-hmm, to ranger mm-hmm. training, you know, p- parachute training, what's, what's going on? Okay. So what I see is when you, when you take that subset of cat- category of person, and I'll put a, I'll put a collegiate athlete up against a Green Beret uh, candidate any day and vice versa. Same thing with the Ranger School candidate. These are super athletes, and these people do not quit, and they do not want to quit. And I look, listen, I jumped into Robin Sage, the Q course, and, and I had a chute malfunction and had a compression fracture in my spine because my chute had a malfunction, came in fast at night. But I laid there on the ground considering, do I tell the medics or do I continue the course? And I continued the course. That's the wow. mindset. Right? That's may, that may not be the best medical advice <laughs> out there, but I'm telling you right now, that's what you do, right? You complete the mission, and then you go into sick hall later. And that's what I did. And then we're like, Doc, you should have come in. All right, so we got that mindset. These guys, when they're at the collegiate level or pro athletes, especially you're seeing the soccer players going down, and you know, you're like, all right, what is going on with these people? They're falling out like flies. They don't quit either. They're, they're professional athletes. They don't want to lose their job, their, their position, their, their starter. So this is a, this is a problem, you know? And so when you see that, and then you look at testing them, if we could test these people, let's say we tested the pilots right now, there was a pilot that uh, Southwest airlines had recently, they landed and they pulled off the co-pilot had died in route. They were, they hadn't left yet. They pulled out, pulled out, pulled back in. All right. We're not saying that's from the shots. We don't know the shot story, but let's just say it was. All right. Let's just say it was. Then what? Then what? Do you want both of those guys to have a situation or any one of them while they're flying your loved ones across the country? I don't think so. 
I don't want my pilots down there in Fort Rucker to be holding a stick on a bird with a bunch of my guys rappelling out the back, worrying about this chopper coming down on our head. This, these are these are hard enough businesses as it is, and then you add that factor of the unknown of what are the side effects? When are they? When is that going to get that insidious onset or the sudden cardiac death? We had a Green Beret. I talked to his battalion commander yesterday, and uh, he was swimming across. You probably may or may not have heard the story. Swimming, doing a, a water comp, but he wasn't doing an underwater comp. He was doing it above water, just a swim. Super athlete, does hundred mile you know marathons or uh, extreme. Uh, running events. He gets out of the pool. They said it was a drowning, right? But he, the commander who was there said he got out of the pool, walked across and passed out and we were coding him. Right? What in These the world? Athletes, right? I, I, I obviously didn't read it carefully because I, you know, it was one of these things. I think I just saw the headline. I, th- I thought they found a body in the pool or something. Negative. No, I talked <laughs> to his commander, a, a friend of mine. And I said, what happened, bro? And he's like, well, here's a real deal. I said, we do an autopsy. No, nope, they're not doing an autopsy. All right, so if we're looking at this and we look at what myocarditis can do, and myocarditis Whoa, is wait, 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 slow down, wait. You're going uh-huh. too fast here. I'm trying to process <laughs> this. Um, I, I could swear I saw the media. I, I did re- remember reading an article on that, and it was something like, and you know, it, there tends to be a lot of dangerous training, and you know, they seem to conflate it and kind of describe what you would describe, the way you would describe uh, drown proofing for the seals or something like that. So you're saying no, it was a regular swim. He got out and collapsed later. I'm going to say 100% equivocally, unequivocally, that is what that guy, my friend, told me. Jeez. I trust. Him. And so sometimes you don't get, <laughs> sometimes I'm speaking rhetorically <laughs> now to the guy that exposes everything in the world up there that's truth, the untruths and gives truth. Sometimes you you get when you get down to a nut cutting, as we say in Texas, you find out the facts, and the facts are that, and that's what I needed to hear because I need to know these things if I'm going to go st- stand up in front of somebody on the hill. Because this is my next fight. When this uniform, well, that uniform that I was wearing is off forever, I'm going to the hill with boots and a cowboy hat, <laughs> and I'm going to knock on every door and say, "Hey, legislators," and and this is another subject that I'm sure you're passionate about is states' rights, sovereignty, et cetera. Hey, legislators, we're done with you. We're done. You know, we're done voting for you. We're done working with you. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with states' rights. And I know a lot of people on the Hill. You know, I've briefed a lot of them. I've talked to them up there while I was working for a little while uh, with the Speaker's office and uh, not for the Speaker's office, but briefing the Speaker's office. And I'm going to tell you that uh, they live in a cloud, and this cloud has no idea what's going on at where the rubber meets the road. Wow. No idea. No idea. There's some good ones up there. I can list them on one hand, but uh, that when you're in that minority, I don't know how how you get around that. So, we're, and, we're, and we're, I can't get over this because mm-hmm. you know this this example is emblematic of what we see in the media. We see these sudden things happen, and they sound mm-hmm. normal because there are unfortunately you know a certain number of accidents that occur in training in the military every year, and then you get the story like, oh no, this is another one of those deals where a guy just kind of drops. Um, and again, I I think the, I'm sorry to cut you off there. No, that's was the, okay. Was the point you're making is that when you are an athlete or you are in mm-hmm. the military, you're doing something, you're going to push yourself. So when you get those initial safety signals um, that demonstrate your body is crying out, we got issues. 
most people will get it checked out. You'll ignore it, and then that's how you have more of this sudden death. Right. Yeah. That. Of. And then. And in this case now, and and I was going to make the point, and I I actually got myself off track because I'm getting passionate about this right now. Is that the myocarditis? It's an inflammation of the myocardium, the muscle. All right. And when the muscle gets inflamed, it enlarges. And so now, if we could just somehow take a guy that had early symptoms and say, Hey brother, Hey doc, I got these early symptoms, right? Let's do a, an MRI of the heart. And I've talked to other doctors, other flight surgeons on active duty who are not authorized to do that because they know what they're looking for. They're not authorized to do that. If I could see that there's an enlarged ventricle, then it looks like a picture we call idiopathic hypertrophic subaortic stenosis, IHSS. You see that with certain Marfan syndrome people, but you don't see it with a typical collegiate athlete or military athlete. You don't see that. But if we see that, we can catch it early. We could say, hey, while you have this myocarditis and it's inflamed and it's enlarged, let's not stress yourself for the next couple of weeks because when you do, you go across that pool back and forth. This was not a one-man comp underwater. This was a swim across the top. Guy gets out, walks over, falls down, right? When you do, you could stress yourself out. Let's give you a little break. Let's go have you see the cardiologist. Roger that. All right, that's how that should happen. That's called risk stratification. We look for things that could possibly happen to you secondary to what damaged you or what, uh, you know, what damaged you in the, in the medical sense or in an injury sense. I do it all the time. That's what that my, my job as a special forces doc when I was in active duty at Fort Bragg was I was like the doc at the Super Bowl. I had to keep you in the game, but I had to know when to pull you back before you hurt yourself. Mm. Right. Yeah. In, in other words, the standard at Fort Bragg is not going to be like it is in the civilian world. You know, hey, it looks like you're, you know, you're under the weather. Maybe you should take a breather. No, I mean, these guys operate, <laughs> you know, obviously uh, when 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 they're uh, when they're unwell. And, and this is why it's so dangerous when you ignore the safety signals. And you're like 100 percent safe. No problem. There's no cardio issues. There's no hematological issues. There's no safety signals to follow mm -hmm. up on. So then no one even bothers to look at it. They don't heed the warning signs. And then that's why you're basically giving the medical explanation as to likely why we're seeing all these sudden deaths, particularly in the in the realm of sports and, and similar uh, professions. Let me take this to the next level. There is no area where the consequence of sudden death mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. more is graver than with pilots. Could you talk a little bit about this letter to the FAA that you are a part of? I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. I quoted yeah, from I you. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Could, could, you, could, you, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, I got contacted by another flight surgeon, uh, probably who you talked to, uh, that, that was on active duty, or she is. And uh, we, we signed off together on this. We, you know, I read it and, uh, and agreed with the, with the statements. I think they wanted to have some other uh, flight surgeon eyes on this to go to the FAA and speak to them about their rules. And the FAA, you know, they're, they're a governing body that has regulations that keeps flight, you know, keeps travel safe, you know, civilian travel safe and, and governs, you know, airspace, things like that. But when it comes to pilots, it's the most stringent physicals in the country, including in the military. The two top stringent uh, physicals are, aside from astronauts, are pilots and special operators, especially the ones that jump out of planes and go very, you know, in deep surface uh, dives, et cetera. So those physicals are stringent, and the rules are there for a reason. And when they say, okay, here's an FAA type of regulation – a new medication that comes out, you got to wait a year that it's been out and it's got a safety record. And then when you take it, you'll be grounded for a period of time and then we'll see how you do and then you, you go from there. But you don't give it during a time when it's still under emergency youth authorization. You don't give it that. 
You can't. You can't because it hasn't had that year trial. You haven't grounded them. You're just sending them back out to the fleet and saying, okay, good luck. I hope you, you know, when you roll this dice, it's not you. Because I guarantee you, when you, when you click positive hot for a stroke, it's 100% for you. And it's 100% for the people that are under your care. And I guarantee you those pilots don't want to, to – that's what keeps them up at night. If they have any, um, any thought process on this whatsoever other than, you know, mass formation psychosis or, you know, we call drinking the Kool-Aid in the past. But wait, wait a minute. What I don't understand is you yourself started experiencing vertigo. Vertigo seems mm-hmm. to be a very common symptom of the vaccines. How long mm-hmm. are they put in a timeout? These pilots, let's say, if you could talk about both commercial and military pilots, mm-hmm. how long are they grounded from the time that they took the shots? One and two. Well, right now, there there is no grounding. There There is no you know, we're going to ground you for any period of time. They should, they should do a workup on them afterwards, but at least, at least in what we were, you know, the argument in the, in the mill side of the house, I can't speak for the, for the FAA side, for the civilian side, but the military side. And I'm, you know, I'm a flight surgeon, but I, I, I take care of special operators. So guys that fly their own bodies through the air in military free fall, but there should be a period of time that you let them sit. And we're, we, we argue between you know, two weeks, two months, what is it? And, it, you know, commanders want it lesser because they got to get people through schools. Uh, the the guys uh, in the air that are doing this stuff, some of the older ones that are experienced are saying, we want it longer. The docs are saying we want it a little bit longer, you know, give it a couple months. Let's see. Because in my case, it was a couple months. We don't, we don't know any, if you don't, you know, I'm using scientific method and theory right now. And that's what I'm using. And it's based upon us doctors talking on the side because we can't talk about it openly because when we talk about it openly, we become disenfranchised by the group of people that are uh, under the command of political type driven folks that got a lot of stars and we can't talk to them. We don't, I can't, I don't have access to talk directly to stars. I do. And I get chewed out a lot, but I really don't care. I've got a lot of time in, but I, I try to talk to them. And if they don't, i I will find one way or another, i.e. you, to get this information out because it has to be out. And this is so important, Demi, because the military obviously is is a closed world and uh, vaccine injury reporting is a closed world. You put the two together. So are you telling me that all these cases you're seeing, there's no military adverse reporting? No, we don't. We should be doing that. And that is in the Army regulation. It does go on to say that in Chapter 8 of that um, Army regulation 40-562. Look it up if you want. And it, and it does say that in there that we should be tracking. And it says commanders should be tracking. I have challenged every commander in the state and, and on active duty to be tracking these. I have sent letters to them holding their feet to the fire and I get crickets back. I get nothing. You know, uh, state surgeon, nothing. You know, it, yeah, don't worry about this. We got this, Chambers. Okay, Roger that, sir. You're you're in charge, Roger. But I, I you know, this is a this is a hill I'm dying on. This this is it. These kids deserve it. I look at them in the face. They don't. They sit at headquarters. And when you're looking at somebody in the face and you're visiting them in the hospital, it's a different world. And I look at the mission. And if if we can't complete the mission, because we've gotten so hamstrung, then if this was, let's just say, if this was a bioweapon, it was a pretty damn good one, because it's got everybody scared to death. Unbelievable. Um, before we move on, I, I, I do want to get to the border, but to kind of transition. So you've done uh, border missions recently for Texas National Guard. Um, mm-hmm. Could you describe a little bit the 
sense of, well, l let me say this. When you speak to the media, when you speak mm -hmm. to the, the Pentagon officials, mm -hmm. they'll tell you that almost everyone's getting the shots. There's just a few people aren't, and we're kicking them mm -hmm. out of the military. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing, at least in your command? I'm going to say from my my perspective, and I and I can't speak for the larger uh, elements, but I can say for the for the guys on the border that came down, guys and gals that came down there, the numbers that are getting reported higher have been uh, what's the term that uh, you know Paul Ryan used to tell me this all the time. I'm tired of getting redacted information. I'm the guy that writes a check. Why am I getting redacted information? Roger that, sir. I don't know. You know, so somewhere in the ranks, somewhere this happens, and I don't know if you've sold out. And you 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 you've become political, or you don't want to look bad, or you want a good officer evaluation report. I don't know what the reason is, but I know that the facts of the numbers that I had on the border do not equate to what are being sent up to hire. Okay, the numbers of people being vaccinated. But I do know this: I do know that right now the, that they're going through a wave, and it's most likely Omicron. We haven't personally tested each guy for Omicron, but I know there's a wave right now of increased positives. Right, here's the deal. 70%, 70% have been vaccinated. 70%. And the ones that have not been vaccinated have had mild symptoms. Okay, They tested positive. They were mild, runny nose, this, that, like a cold. And they're going to be fine. And they're going to be the gift that God gave us right now, this natural immunity. They've got the, most likely the Omicron that's going to buy them that natural immunity. And they so you're saying 70% of those testing positive in military were vaccinated. Now, what, uh, in not my, in the military, in, 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 your, in your unit, I meant, mm -hmm. in your unit, um, do you know what the basic background rate of uh, vaccine, you know, vaccination rate in the area? I mean, is it, is it that also about 70%, 80%? I'm going to say that uh, it's really based on the units too. And some of the units that have been down there for a year already, because some of these people are just coming on, you know, they've had plenty of time outside to get the vaccine. They didn't. All right. But overall, the numbers are probably about 60% vaccinated. Let's huh. just say that, and that you know, there there are several different units that comprise this whole thing, and uh, due to OPSEC, I can't say specifically how many people are down there and that kind of stuff, but but I can say that you know that's about what's vaccinated, and that's that's across the board. So you still got a, a large amount that come June of 22, uh, regardless of what you know. I know the governor has said, Governor Abbott has come out and said, well, we're not going to hold the mandate to the to our troops, and and I, and I respect him for that. I do. But I have to see paperwork on the DOD side, or at least from the guard side, that's going to be able to develop what's called a fragmentary order to rescind the other order. And I have not seen that. And until I mm -hmm. see that, it's kind of like, you know, don't pee on my leg, tell me it's raining. You know, that's kind of the <laughs> feeling I got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because the National Guard should easily be able to be protected by any red state governor. Um, I don't understand why they're not all doing it. I don't understand why they don't, you know, declare Title 32. Um, anyone who's not Title 10, they're not in federal service. There's no reason why they cannot be under the governor's uh, command, of, uh, command of disciplinary uh, action. And he his disciplinary order should be that nobody is disciplined for not getting the shot. And, uh, you know, if DOD wants to Title 10 every last guardsman in the country, I guess yeah. technically they can do that. But that would be a pretty big fight. 
Um, it's 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 a shame. It's it, it really is a shame. Um, I know my friend in Oklahoma, Jay Stagel, he tried mm-hmm. to push the Oklahoma governor governor into doing this. Of course, they went and begged the courts, and the courts said no. And really, we should be doing this on our own. And that gets back to the final point I want to talk about today, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is state sovereignty. You're a Texan through and through. Oh my and, gosh! Yes, and, we need uh, to go there. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yes. So you're 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 a Texan. Um, I'm not going to tell you what the federal government needs to be doing to secure the border because obviously uh-huh. this administration is openly inviting in. We're, we're up to what 150 to 170 thousand apprehensions. Right. Uh, 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 you know a what month. apprehension means, right? That well, means we counted their head as they got on a bus leaving somewhere in the state, le- leaving to go somewhere else, and 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 then that doesn't even include all the gotaways that we barely right, count right. anymore. So, so yeah. Yes. So could could you describe <laughs> first? First, what's the state of play? I think, although the media is not reporting it, people know that they're flooding in the border and it hasn't Mm -hmm. changed much. What are some of the biggest uh, security concerns you're seeing? Okay, so, yeah, there's multiple. So, you know, here's the deal. Those numbers that you just saw, just just know this, that next year, and this is from a source that I have on the border that says, this is it, this is not OPSEC, next year we're going to be two times that if we keep going the way we are. Two times those numbers next year. All right, that's number one. Number two. If we're so worried about COVID, if we're so worried about this, then why are we just bringing these people and putting them on buses? I got it. You know, they're, they're all going to be natural immune and, and, you know, so are my infantry guys. They lick trailer hitches. I mean, (laughs) these guys, they don't care. They're like, we got this, sir. We're going to be fine. You know, we're young. We understand the numbers. I tell everybody, but here's the deal. The fight to protect the national guard, which I read your, your paper, you had that down there and, and then state sovereignty. I was doing my homework last night on this, knowing that we might touch on this. Look, state sovereignty is something that I recently was speaking to. And I know you had him on Don Huffines, great man. He's running in a gubernatorial race. I, I support everything he says in that he talks about the state sovereignty that in the constitution of the United States, it allows for the state to defend when there is an invasion. And this is an invasion. Look, we don't just have, Central Americans and Haitians coming across. And there are some nefarious actors that go through. I've seen them. I've looked them in the face. I've separated little girls from people that weren't their dad, right, that are cartel members. We've rolled up guys with felony arrest warrants on the border that were cartel members, right? Those are nefarious in the micro. But what I'm concerned about is the transfer migration and the change of the, of the not only the demographics, but just the the love of this country. You know, the people that are working the hardest on the border right now that are wearing uniforms are from Texas. That's why this is working down there. But it's just, it's just so overwhelming. You know, these kids, this is their backyard. This means something to them, right? What kind of loyalty will these people that come in, what will they have? I don't know. But then you add in the factor of Chinese, Yemenis, Afghans, Pakistanis, uh, Central, I mean, South Africans, all these other countries that could potentially have more nefarious actors. We can't control that. They go from, they pass by us. If we see them, we, 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 we uh, apprehend them, but we have to pass them off to the border patrol who has to pass them off to ICE, who then handles it from there. We don't see that. So what is happening there? And that's where we need some accountability from the DHS, DHS side of the house, Mayorkas, who recently went down there last year at Anzo Dulles Bridge There was 9,000 people under that bridge. This is not the Del Rio bridge, 9,000. He went down to do a press conference, told him to get out of it, get them all out of there before he did it. And there were only 500 people. He's like, I don't know. These are not the droids you're looking for. I don't know where they went. I saw it happen. That's the guy that's responsible for our homeland security. Now I'm not, I'm not dissing him, but what I'm saying is, is that 
you, you can't just keep pulling the wool over everybody's eyes and thinking eventually we're not going to figure it out. Now, I think 70-80% of the border issue is obviously interior enforcement and the magnets. Uh, I, I have a novel idea. You make illegal immigration illegal, meaning mm-hmm. you actually yeah. make it that if you're in this country, you can't get the K-12 through education, you can't get the bennies, you can't get a job, then, yes, then that whole thing is over with. But putting the policy legal side mm-hmm. on a shelf for a moment, from an operational standpoint, you come, mm-hmm. you come to the border – um, with obviously a military mindset, because that's mm-hmm. your background. Um, mm-hmm. If you were trying to make sure that we, you know, reclaim our sovereignty over our own border mm-hmm. and not the cartels, mm-hmm. they don't mm-hmm. get to dictate what goes across our border. What would right. you do different from an operational standpoint? Yeah, this, and you, you touching on some things that also had conversation with Huffines on, and this is us controlling those people that come across because we can segregate out before they get to the others. It's just that this was, this, this was the model that we fell in under, you know, that we would take, we would essentially, we take our lead from the department of public safety because that's the way the mission statement reads is that we work under them and for them to observe report, uh, to deter, to uh, turn them back. But if we have to, if we have to take control of those people, we have military police in our own ranks. We could bring them down, make our own detention centers, and actually, just like you know, we were talking with Huffines again. I'm, I'm bringing him up because we had this conversation. Is we can turn traffic around back south if it's coming up here. We can put pressure back on Mexico to say, hey, because you can conduct your own negotiations across your own border. Once again, it, it's diplomacy, but it's it's not at the it's not at the federal level. It's the state level. And so people that are willing to have sovereignty, I have to understand that you have to be able to speak to the person across your border, be it a state or a, or a, a, a Mexico, another country. And so having those ability to detain the ones that are that are dangerous and nefarious actors to, to send back people. If we looked at the Title 42 that it was in existence before, we said remain in Mexico. You could have COVID if COVID is such a problem. And in the Valley, it's 900% higher per capita rate of COVID transmission than anywhere else in the state because we have so many people coming across. It's just a factor of numbers. It's just what it is. They're going to transmit. You know, it's just going to be, it's going to happen. So if we look at that, we say we can turn them around and send them back into Mexico, put them on a bus and go, here you go. I pay the bus driver and say, instead of the Clintons paying for you to come here, we're going to pay for you to go south. So what you're basically saying is that Look, no matter what Biden or I mean, <laughs> if he doesn't last, it will be Harris. But the Democrats will control DHS mm-hmm. uh, for at least another three more years, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So if if Texas just has the attitude, look, we're going to send the National Guard down there, fill in some of the gaps. But then when we get the people, we're just going to turn them over to DHS. Well, that's just going to you're just more efficiently doing the catch and release. You're not going to do anything. You have to have your own return to Mexico policy. Is that essentially what you're saying? I would believe that that would be the, the way to do this thing. I've talked to some other policy writers, Cuccinelli's guys up on the hill, and uh, some of them are in agreement with it, with there is a way to do that. Okay, legally, legally, there's a way to do that without asking permission of the federal government, because when you do try to sue the federal government for something that you already have a right for to do, then what you're doing is you're you're giving them still the lead on that decision making process. And I don't believe that, you know, by the way that I read and I've I've looked through this myself and talked to some other uh, uh, legal experts 
that I, I believe we can do it legally and turn people back around. We can even stop tra- traffic at the border and, and send it back and put some pressure back on the South to then govern their own side because those cartels, brother, let me tell you, some, some of them have taken their playbook out of ISIS. And there's some nasty things that happen on the border. Now, a lot of people always challenge me on this this mm-hmm. point. I want to get your your sense here. Um, mm-hmm. let, let's say we shut off illegal immigration again. I think, I mean, if, if we would actually make it illegal, if, if you would shut off the magnets, they really wouldn't come. They only come because they know Biden's inviting them. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from drugs, and a lot of people are like, I mean, I, I think drugs are a problem, but a lot of people don't mm-hmm. care. You know, are the cartels a direct problem to the United States that we they need are. to get rid of them? Or is it like, again, let, let's say let's say we deterred illegal immigration through the magnets mm-hmm. and we're just like, hey, you know, whatever. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to try to kill us. They just want to make money. That's that's what I hear from a lot of people. Um, what's your opinion on the long-term danger of having the cartels have operational control of our border? Mm-hmm. Okay, so perfect, perfect uh, question. There was a saying back in the 80s, and it still transfers over today, which is a clear and present danger. They are a clear and present danger to the Texas border, to the sovereignty, to the safety at the border. They're, they're, they're getting running gunfights across the river, and sometimes they spill over this way. Sometimes rounds come across this way. Now, I know that's a microcosm. But look, I've seen an old man in, in the town of Roma hitting the belly with a 50 cal round. Went through his, through his window of his house and came in and got him. All right? Th- these things happen, but that's just a small scale. Let's look at, at the bigger scale. And the bigger scale is, is that the, the PISO tax, the taxes that they're getting off these people, $3,000 for a family unit, 2000 up to 30000 if you're a Chinese, you know, all these different routes of entry, we call them rat lines, these rat lines bringing people in, right? What does that do to the sovereignty? But what does that do to the security of the nation? Because if I know that I want to get a dirty bomb in the United States, all I got to do is go down there and pay somebody La Lina down in the, in the, uh, Presidio region, the Big Bend of Texas, where it's desolate, looks like the surface of the moon, and say, all right, this is a 100% guarantee. Here's $100,000. Get me in the States. All right. If I'm a bad guy and I'm thinking like a bad guy and I'm red selling this thing right now and I'm saying this is what I would do, that's what I would do. Now, from, as, a, as, a, as a warfighter, operator, doctor, military guy, I'm going to tell you the safety of our nation is at stake. It's a clear and present danger. These guys don't care. They have no loyalties. These guys. And so every single congressman has come down to the border, every one of them, Jim Jordan, um, some others, you know, the cruise uh, element that came through their, their staff. I didn't talk to him. Uh, I briefed them directly and said, make these guys terrorist organizations. Let us go after their money. Let us let us do something that we can target them politically, target them financially, target them militarily if we have to, where if we have to go across or we. Or do we just adhere to the to the rules of engagement where, well, they shot a few harassment rounds. Let's get in our trucks and run away. Because then I'm reminded of, you know, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Run away, run away. You know, that's not a TTP you want to stand by when yep. you're trying to protect your border. Are they hanging out in some of those islands um, in the river? And do they generally uh, stay away points. from the border agents? Oh, yeah. Well, it depends on what they're doing. If they're a mule and they're carrying some kind of traffic, you know, narcotics, which right now the big one's fentanyl. But if they're coming across with that stuff, yeah, they're going to stay away from it. I mean, what they're going to do is they're going to push a bunch of family units across at one point and about maybe a click down the river, about a, a thousand meters down the river or upriver. They're going to move because they know that as soon as they move this big group, everybody's going to be tied up. 
They're the, the drones are going to go over to the big group to look to, you know, see, is it safe? And then they're going to start doing an end around. It's, it's a technique they've been doing since the days of the Texas Republic with cattle. And it's, they have, you know, there was a saying we had in Afghanistan. They have the time, even though we have the watches, right? We have the watches, but they've got the time. They could sit there all day long with their spotters and they pay them, you know, a couple hundred pesos a day or whatever to sit there and watch. And they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait. And they know what time we leave, what time we come in. They know, you know, they, they're doing their, their recon as well. And our guys, God love them, are alone and unafraid on that river. And they're there 24-7. And they're doing a great job. But there's just so many miles. It's 1,245 miles. All right? We, if you knew the numbers and you did the math, you say there's no way we could to cover the whole river 24-7, 365. Impossible. It's just it's a task beyond. But there are ways to do that with other technologies and other you know, uh, uh, predictive analysis type things that we could do at the risk of not saying anything else more sensitive. That's what I would do. Well, there's definitely a lot more I want to get into, you know, as we explore the border. But again, none of that's going to happen at a federal level. Texas has got to do it, and we need a leader in charge who's willing to do it. We're pretty Mm -hmm. much out of time here, but I want to close with just one final question. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you've been in the military since slightly before I was born. Uh, (laughs) Totally different world, totally different Mm -hmm. military. Um, I I just, from my perspective of never having served in the military— I look, you know, from the Gulf War era to now, mm-hmm. I see a military leadership that's obsessed with gender bending, that's um, become hostile to Christians, that has become, uh, you know, about critical race theory, uh, obviously now about uh, COVID fascism. Um, is the military salvageable when when you just look at the change it's made from the decades you were in there? I mean, and I'm going to say something very sensitive, too, and Mm -hmm. and with you looking to exit the the military permanently any day now, Mm -hmm. um, how could anyone in this audience even encourage their children to join the military, given the climate and and, and the the mission? Yes, and and I've seen that change as well, you know, back from 1983, what was it, 3 September 1983 when I came in. Um, I'm going to say this, and this, this axiom holds true today. From 480 BC, Heraclitus wrote, out of 100 soldiers, 10 should not even be here. 80 are nothing but targets, and nine, they the battle make, and we're lucky to have them. But the one, the one is a leader, and he'll bring the others back. Now, I'm going to use that to demonstrate that those numbers have not changed. And I've been in for a while, and I've seen that. But you're going to fill. You're going to talk the ranks full of people that shouldn't be there. There are going to be ten that are not going to, out of a hundred. They're going to, that shouldn't be there. You're going to have eighty that are nothing but targets. And I don't care what they do, what flag they fly under, what what uh, what mantra, what uh, sex they they identify as. It doesn't matter as long as they can fight. But here's the deal: you're still going to have the nine, and you're still going to have the one, and we've got to have them. We are lucky to have them. So those people will still join because they're they're like me. You had me at hello. You know, my dad, World War II, partisan, fighter, fought Germans, uh, fought communists, uh, rest of my family, all patriots, Vietnam, all that, all the way through. You will still have us. You will still have us as a nine and the one. We will still exist. Those other ones, they eventually will fall by the wayside. And when it gets down to the, once again, the nut cutting, and we're down there facing 20,000 Chinese across the border, I'm, I'm telling you what, those nine will still step up. And the other ones? They'll just be targets. And I hate to say that, but that's just the way it is. 
you know, with all these, these test bed that they're using us for all these tests to figure out, you know, well, this is a microcosm of society. No, it's not. It is not the place to test this stuff, but we, we are the only audience that they have that they can 100%, they believe they can 100% control, but we're losing the critical thinkers. And that's my concern. The guys are getting out early. Guys and gals are getting out early who are critical thinkers because they have better offers. They don't want to take the shots. They see this weakness in their command. That concerns me. That concerns me more than anything. I've got to get out cause I'm, you know, I'm broken, but, uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to quit fighting. So do you, well, I know that's an interesting thing because we're thinking of all the people getting out because uh, they don't want to mm-hmm. get the shots. But what about the people who did get the shots and were injured from I them? Know. And, and that's what I want people to realize from God your, bless your, your God circumstance. Bless um, yeah. And and certainly we wish you well with that. And, and, and hopefully this will, will you know resolve itself soon. Are you a fan of my idea to start bolstering state militias again. Absolutely. Texas State Guard is a, is a wonderful organization. Uh, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis in Florida, he's, he's looking into step, uh, setting up his own state guard. Once again, it was there back in uh, after World War II. They had one. So, you know, people freak out when they hear that, oh, it's a militia. Well, you know, the Texian militia is what grew into the State Guard of Texas. It was the people at the Alamo. This is quite a lineage. Yes, we should be, and we should be armed, and we should also be able to do civil affair type things where we go and, and do a hurricane response or we go and do a, a tornado response and, and, and you know, wildfires, things like that. That needs to exist because there are a lot of people out there like me who will retire, and I'm, I promise you, I'll go back in and be in the Texas State Guard, and, and hopefully I'll be the commander of it, and then we can have a faction that, that has no Title Ten authority over us. How about it? Uh, adjunct General Chambers. Um, really looking forward to that. Um, look, this has been a very enlightening discussion. We covered the gambit, a lot of different issues. Each one needs more. Folks, if you have questions for uh, Colonel Chambers, for me to follow up with him, uh, I can guarantee you he's a real gem. It's not going to be the last time he's on the show. Uh, good luck on your exit uh, of the military. Uh, again, may God heal you from your your injury you, there and may God uh, give you that strength to keep fighting and exposing all this to people uh, who need to hear it. I mean, this audience knows this, but this is very enlightening. But like you said, some of these people that are governors that are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, GOP leaders, uh, they're really aloof to, to how bad the shots are and the problems. So give them a hell. All right. Roger that. This is like the, the saying on Normandy, George Taylor. I don't know if you remember this. There are only two kinds of guys on this beach. The dead, they're already dead, and those about to die. Look, this is the time, folks. This is the time to step up. We're not sitting on the beach anymore. we got to move. That's all i got to say. Amen. All righty. Take care. We'll see you. And that about wraps it up for us today. Um, wow. That was, that was something else. I'm just telling you, when do you ever find a guy who's a Green Beret and a doctor, and I don't say this part with glee, but, you know, was injured by the shots, observes so many other people, getting the shots was on the COVID task force for the governor was in the Texas guard as a special operator doing border missions. Oh, and I forgot to mention he has a book coming out. I don't, I mean, it's not a up to pre-order yet, but he has a book coming out on the failures of Afghanistan. Um, so really all of our favorite issues, uh, he is going to be a regular. It's uh, one, one of these, um, 
you know, it's kind of like when I bumped into Dr. Ryan Cole, you know, when you meet a guy that just, wow, you know, you're going to have a lot to do with him in the future. So he's going to be a friend to us uh, headed forward. Um, again, I'm off Twitter this week. I'm in the penalty box. I will likely not be there for much longer, even when they restore it, if they restore it, um, because I'm just going to get canned for speaking the truth. So we are going to look for other ways. I'm going to try to, you know, enhance my presence on Rumble. Um, but that's why it's even more important. I need your help uh, getting this show out elsewhere. So even if we don't have the social media platform, people know to subscribe, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, or directly at The Blaze for this podcast. Again, I'm not here to um, to, to sell my name. You know, if, if I were here for myself, I would get guests who have big, big followings, and then they could, you know, tweet it out, and then I can get all the windfall from that. These are interesting people that you don't typically hear from. They don't have a social following, but they have great stories, great information. What a great American. Uh, really had a lot of fun today. Hope you did as well. Tomorrow we'll be back. Do it all over again. Same time, same place. Till then, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.